If you are a Christian, then we are part of a really big kingdom, and we serve an awesome, loving king. Just again, challenging us, what's our part? What is our part in his kingdom? And there you're going to find contentment. May you, been, you may have been searching, but I ask that even during this message this morning, that you might find just your, your nudge, that little that place, that piece of the puzzle that just fits right in. And so we want to, if you want to lift your, or uh, raise your hands in this direction. Father God, we just thank you so much for Cyril. We thank you, Lord, for the, the pastors and the teachers in this house. And I ask, Lord, that the word that you prepared in him would come across in such a way that would be a game changer. Lord, um, we're tired of sitting on the bench and just watching. <laughs> Some of us are watching and waiting for, for what? God, I just ask that you would rekindle that vision of your kingdom and the stance that we need to take to throw that ball in a forward motion. Prepare us, Lord. Motivate us. Move us. Thank you for Cyril. I just ask, Lord, that you would continue to give him courage and that this word would be powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Works. Yep. Good, thanks. <clears throat> My wife saw me getting this ready to uh, take out, out the door, and she said, you're not going to show all of that, are you? And I said, no, no, no. Just uh, a few pictures to kind of um, identify where I was 50 years ago. And uh, as I like to tell my 7th and 8th grade students, I used to be a lot younger. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm surely um, tuned in with the word that uh, Tamara read and the worship from Second Chronicles and what Max just shared and what Arlene just shared about you're off the bench. And uh, I've certainly never felt like I was on one of my uh, things that... I saw growing up was a, just a simple picture that my mother had on the wall in her kitchen at home. And it had an ancient grass mower. The grass mower was horse-drawn, and it was well-used and all shiny. And the caption read, it is better to wear out than to rust out. And uh, that definitely goes along with uh, being off the bench and 
uh, doing whatever the Lord would be calling you to do. Additionally, I, I've been thinking all week about Matt and Tamara last week shared in the service, they had gotten a word for this fellowship about these jars, these canning jars filled with perhaps ingredients to make cookies or some kind of good stuff to share, maybe essence of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit or, or gifts of the Spirit or whatever we have to share with our world to make Jesus famous. And in, in that word that they got, they, uh, part of the word was that the Holy Spirit came down and incinerated a cork top on the top of that jar that released what was in it so that it could be shared. So I'm going to share some parts of my life where I felt that I really had to get off the bench uh, going all the way back 50 years and being drawn to do things. Joyce Meyer has a great book entitled Do It Afraid. Do It Afraid. There's a lot of promotion of fear these days and um, my whole talk is going to be about overcoming fear because I, when Doug told me that I would have a chance to share today, and I prayed about it, that was what I really feel led to share, is that uh, when we get off the bench and when we share whatever is in our jar to share, whatever is in our wheelhouse to share, there are people who are really trying to put fear on us these days. And uh, I like to tell my students, I've made them memorize it already, 2 Timothy 1.7, God does not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind, or a strong mind, either different translations. One of the first places in my young life when I really faced fear was I went to Paris, France for a year to study and go to school. Found myself on a plane to Europe. Prior to that time, I had never been out of North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana. And I'm off to live in Paris for a year and go to school with a French family that hardly spoke a word of English. School was going to be 100% in French from day one. And um, I have one slide from that. I think I can get that focused. I did a lot of traveling around. doesn't focus very well, I guess, but... I did a lot of traveling around Europe when I wasn't in school, and on that particular day I was at the water someplace, and there were surprises on that trip and living with that family. I, there was a, a young man in the family that I lived with who was a card-carrying communist, and he liked to tell me uh, all kinds of stuff about politics and and we had some great discussions about politics. Sometimes there was a lot of yelling, but uh, <laughs> on both sides. <laughs> but uh, there were some things that I might have been afraid of that during that trip. In Paris during that time, 69 to 70 were the years I was there. They were doing things 
like the Portland riots, and, and some of it was even worse. They had the military in there. They were bombing cars and things like that. And as I would be walking someplace, when I wasn't in school, I was always going someplace, and I had to be really careful to not get caught up in the protest of the day, whatever it was. We never knew where it was going to be or where it was going to be held. And as a foreigner, I did not want to get arrested and never uh, get home again. So got through that, and it was a great year, one of the best years of my life. Following college, I saw the commercials for Peace Corps, and I also heard Jesus in Matthew 25, 40, where he says, if you, whatever you do for the least of these, to feed the hungry and shelter the homeless and give drink to the thirsty and all of that, whatever you do for any of them, you do it to me. And I thought, wow, I could do that. I have a farming background in addition to a language background. And I discovered that they had a need in Chad, which is in Central Africa, uh, they needed a French-speaking farmer, and, um, and I filled both of those qualifications. And so I went to Africa for two years. Again, a real need to do it afraid because there were, as much as possible, Peace Corps prepares volunteers for what they're going to get into, but... I wasn't quite ready for an epidemic of cholera that was on as soon as I got there, which obviously I avoided. And um, there was a civil war going on the whole time I was there. And they, it was basically Muslims killing Christians. And I was the only white, uh, maybe Christian, in my village. I was not born again yet at that time. I was not spirit-filled. But... Um, I am glad to have had that experience, and there were a lot of times that I had to do it afraid there, because any time we'd go, say, from here to Roseburg, we'd have to go through a checkpoint where there'd be uh, soldiers with loaded weapons, and somehow I managed to uh, stay out of trouble during that time, although I was very sick by the time... I came home, just a, a few slides from that trip. I had a girlfriend before I left, and she wasn't there when I got back, but that's life. I had horses, and I was showing off a little bit that day. I had two Arabian stallions, and they were very lively. I rode I rode them alternate days in the farm where I worked. This is some of the guys in the hood uh, just coming around to talk. If you can't tell, that's me in the background uh, in front of my mud house, humble as it was. One of the projects I had was growing fruit trees. And these are the seedlings that have become just about big enough to transplant. The area where I was in Chad had very little fruit. 
And so I had 200 some fruit trees growing where there were basically none before I came. We grew cotton and uh, that was one thing on the farm. The project was basically a number of countries worked together on this particular project, providing, it was a sort of a co-op, and the farmers got some additional land to the land they already had, basically doubling their, their farming output with the help of us furriners to uh, come and help them in various ways to farm better and irrigate and that type of thing. This is just below the Sahara in Africa. Extremely hot, extremely dry. 120 above every day during the summer. And um, no electricity, no running water, no air conditioning. All water had to be carried and so forth. Uh, to feed the horses with such a dry, hot climate, the hay for the horses was brought on the back of a camel, and this little guy was bringing me hay for my horses on the back of his camel. Peanuts is a, far, a crop that we raised also, grew very well. And just to show how primitive they're doing the wheat harvest by hand. Just like you'd read about in the Bible, beating the grain out of the, out of the head of the wheat plant. And that's all my slides. I promised my wife I wouldn't overdo it. You, down here? you just grab that. So, do it afraid. And get off the bench and all the things that we've been hearing for many months in Doug's sermons and Max and Stephen Montgomery and, and whoever has been speaking, there is, uh, there is work to be done for the Lord. And that's our sacrifice uh, to, to release, again, to use that image of the jars with the good stuff inside. And it was also mentioned during worship, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the, the body of Christ, and he certainly lives within us. And we have whatever we have to share, and most of all, we have our faith in him to share, and our, our life living with Christ, in Christ, and the various ways that we live that out without fear, as I see the um, quite a lot of empty chairs today, I can't help but sharing a story I heard about a bishop. In the Catholic Church, when the bishop comes, 
that's a big deal because he's got a lot of power and, and they usually put on the dog and lots of people come. In this particular story, a bishop came and there was hardly anybody in the church and he said to the pastor, why is there such a light attendance today? Did you tell them I was coming? The pastor, the pastor replied, no, somebody else must have. One other little joke about preaching that I love to tell, there's, well, it's not actually about preaching, it's about Toastmasters. As you know, in Toastmasters, people learn to speak and give public talks, and the story is told of a, a man getting up at Toastmasters, and his, he had been having work on his dentures, and his dentures fell out, and he was so embarrassed Somebody also at the head table just happened to have another set of dentures in his pocket, so he gave it to him. And he tried it, and it, uh, he said, uh, thanks, but they don't really fit. And he said, well, you know, you won't believe it, but I have another set also. So he pulled out the second set, and the guy tried it, and wow, it, it fit this time. And he gave his talk, and later on, after it was over, he said to the gentleman, so are you a, a denturist, or how in the world did you happen to have two sets of dentures in your pocket? And he said, oh no, I'm a funeral director. <laughs> well, this... this um, Last year and a half, or almost two years now, has, <clears throat> has had so many challenges for all of us. And as I, I have thought many times over this past, uh, since whenever the, as I like to say, the so-called pandemic started, when it just started and things were just starting to lock down and we were on quarter break here from school, and I had a trip planned to Phoenix, Arizona, to see family there. And I wasn't going to not go, so I went and um, was there a week. And when I came back, I, I, I was amazed. People had begun to take the quarantine seriously at that point. And in the Seattle-Tacoma airport, I remember thinking, I would never have seen it that quiet there and probably never will again. It was like a funeral home there. It was so few people and it was so quiet. I took a, from Seattle Tacoma to Medford, I took a 60 passenger plane with the cockpit crew and four flight attendants and four passengers in the 60 passenger plane. Um, People were even afraid to travel, I guess, even when they could. And my wife and I decided early on, when this nonsense all started, that we just, we don't embrace fear. We just, we just don't. And we, even if we're afraid, we believe in, do it afraid. The narrative was, stay home, avoid everyone, hide out in your basement, and you'll be safe. And I like what one preacher said, imagine 
if they had told that to David when Goliath came? What would he have said? <laughs> the basement with my face covered? Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, I, I made a list of scriptures that are many of my favorites that, that I use personally to do it afraid, even if I'm afraid. And the ones I'm going to give are not all on there, but some are. If you wanted to catch the ball, you'll have to have a pen out because I, I don't have them all on your sheet. I got the list from, again, from the Joyce Meyer book, Do It Afraid. She has stories in every chapter about people who overcame fear. It's a great read. Cast all your cares on him is one of the scriptures, and it certainly is one way to do it afraid, one way to get off the bench. Psalm 23 certainly is, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, uh, that's not on the list, and it follows Matthew 6, 25 and 26, obviously, where Jesus talks about how we need things, and God knows that we need things, and and he will provide these things if you will seek first his kingdom. He will provide all these things for you. And in Luke 9, 1 and 2, one of the things that he assures us that we have is power over all the power of the enemy. And sometimes there are quiet little ways that, that we can share that with others. My wife, Arlene, and I reach, off, reach out frequently to our neighbors, and as I said, since the pandemic, we've made a special point of doing that just because we want to let people know that we're not hiding out and that we care and that we're here for you. One of our neighbors recently had the COVID, and um, I don't know why, but she was bored, I guess, and she made me cookies. Well, I, I don't live in fear. I ate the cookies. I don't care if she had COVID while she made them. I'm here and I'm well and I'm not sick. And uh, So what? I mean, her daughter delivered them. I didn't see her personally. But, and then I was talking with her son about not being afraid and about prayer. And eh, they're not believers, so I kept it light. But Friday I hit a deer. And... I was telling him about that. He happened to be at my house, and, and I said, you see this car? You see the front here? Uh, I said, uh, where did the deer hit there? You see it? He couldn't see it. I always pray every morning, or any time when I go anywhere, I rebuke collisions. I rebuke uh, breakdowns, hitting anything, especially animals. In Jesus' name, we have that power. Jesus gave it to us in Luke 9, 1 and 2. When I hit that deer, it was more like this, because I had, I had slowed down enough that, that it wasn't that bad. But still, there was not a bark on that car or any place. In little quiet ways like that, we can let people know that, that our God's alive and well, and He ain't scared and he ain't powerless, and he's doing things, and you can have him too. 
And we, we are safe without hiding in our basements and without being afraid we can be safe. There is not a safer place in the world than we are right here this minute, right now, praying for the glory of the Lord, praying for His Spirit to flow and praise and sharing His love with each other. And as I shared in a previous message last year and this, the teachers gather every morning and, and we take authority over this place every single day. And we let the enemy know where he can go and, um, and make it clear whose property this is here and whose, uh, whose agenda is here. And you probably read it as, as I have. The statistic of how many deaths from COVID to kids under age 17, you know how many in the county? Zero. And, well, that's just part of the news about the, the uh, COVID that's not real popular, but still they need to mask and still they need to have social distancing and and okay, I won't get carried away on that, but <laughs> um, I don't question anything anybody does to be safe or to protect themselves or protect their family, and I honor whatever choices everybody makes. Uh, they, we've had to, people in my family have had to make tough choices. I have... Uh, people close to me that work in health care, and I'll say no more. But Acts 10.38 is not on your list. That's one way to uh, do it afraid, if you are afraid. Acts 10.38. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good works and healing all who were in the grip of the devil. That's Jesus. And 1 John 3.8 is another one like that. 1 John 3.8. 1 John 3.8. And if you're writing them down, write down, write down John 14.12 and Luke 10.19 and 20 also. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8 says. And in Acts 10.38, he's described as, as healing all who were in the grip of the devil. And so I like to quiz my 7th and 8th grade class, if God does not give us a spirit of fear, then whose spirit is it? Well, they know the answer. And... Um, in fact, in John 10.10, which is also not on your list, John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, but the thief comes to rob and to kill and to destroy. And so we know whose work the pandemic is. And we need to take authority over it, as Jesus told us to. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he told his followers, you will do the deeds I do and greater than these. And so that is why I believe in doing it afraid, because he has a great future for us. 
he, <clears throat> he has great plans for us, according to Jeremiah 29, 11. That's on your list. And Psalm 27, verse 1. He is our light and our salvation. And His glory is available. And I, I certainly... Join those prayers of the worship team for the glory to fall and the glory to spread and the glory to take over our world. We need that. We need his presence everywhere for everything all the time. I just have to take issue with, with different ways that the, what I would, I guess I would call it, the narrative is out there to... Um, alarm us and to make us afraid. Throughout the summer, we're always dealing with the threat of fires, and we're, we're, it's, it's real. I live in the woods, and we've had fires within a mile of us different times, but every single summer, we take authority over wildfires all the time, and we tell them to stay away. And Jesus in Jesus' name, we do that, of course. And he has authority over the weather because in Mark 4.39, he told the wind to be still, and it was still. And it kind of made me chuckle. The Courier recently had an article that said that the fact that there were very few wildfires this year in our area was luck. And vigilance, well, okay, I think it was God, and I don't, I know I'm not the only one who prays for safety during the summer, and we give God thanks that we had safety and protection from wildfires. And I just, whether it's living life or whether it's ministering, ministering to others, no matter what it is, I'll give one more example. My chart, my health chart, says that I'm a former smoker. Big deal. I quit 35 years ago, but <laughs> they still call me a former smoker. But Job 33 verse 4 says, that's not on your list, Job 33 verse 4 the breath of the Almighty gave me life, and the Holy Spirit keeps me alive. And that's what I think about being a former smoker. That's what I have to say about... Uh, they always ask these questions medically about what has happened to members of your family. My father died of throat cancer, and he was a smoker. But that doesn't mean I'm going to. And that sort of thing. So, there are just a whole lot of instances where we can be ready, willing, and able to let the glory fall, to get off the bench, to, to let God do what He wants to do. He has great things ahead for us, great things in store for us in our world, and I believe for our country, but most of all for us as believers in service to the Lord and service to our country. And I'll close with this. 
In the King James, Psalm 118, verse 17, Psalm 118, verse 17, says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to get on the bench, off the bench. <laughs> I have a testimony of you were talking about being in the car and asking for protection. Well, we never fail when we get in the car. Roy never fails to pray that we will not hit. He goes through the whole list, turkeys, deer. <laughs> never fails. So we were on our way home Friday night. Yeah, Bigfoot, first on the list. So we're on our way home Friday night from Williams, and we're going up 7th Street. Oh. And a man walked right in front of our car. I was driving. That's probably why he's praying this. (laughs) There's no natural way we could have avoided hitting this man He was so close, I could see the pinstripes on the polo shirt he was wearing. And we didn't hit him. I slammed on the brakes. And, uh, but it was God's intervention and the angel's intervention that this man's not dead because I still don't know how we didn't hit him. I mean, he was right there when I slammed on the brakes and God protected him. So I give praise to the Lord for that. As Sarah was talking about fear, I recently was reminded that fear has a champion. It's called anger. Think about that for a moment. How many of us have, you've heard things recently, you've been in a situation where you know of someone that Anger seems to be the first thing out of their heart or their mouth when something happens. Well, it's usually hiding fear. You know, next month in November, we're going to be talking about healing and deliverance and breaking free of things like fear. Last week when I shared, I talked about being a prisoner of hope. We can be prisoners of fear. And I think this would be a great moment for us to start wiping the slate and get rid of that fear and allow hope to once again enter our hearts. I don't know if you feel it this morning. Worship was awesome, but there's still a lid. There's still a lid here. And and I want to see there is no glass ceiling over us. We have direct access to the King of Kings and His glory can come up or down. It goes both ways, right? We have a glory within us that allows us to worship God with just abandonment. And I want us to be those people that in everything we put our hands to, it's with total abandonment unto our King. So let's stand. And I just want to say, 
If that's you, if you've been a prisoner of fear and you're honestly evaluating your heart, and you know that's you, I'd like you to come up because we want to pray for you. We want to pray a complete freedom. That's the only way you're going to be able to operate and be able to demonstrate and walk in kingdom realities is you have to be free of fear. Amen? And the only way we can do that is to be filled with the presence of God. That's what gives us the power to navigate these waters, to be totally free from fear. Mm, I think requires just a deeper fullness of the Holy Spirit. So if that's you, if you want more of the Spirit of God, if you want to be, maybe you've never been baptized in the Spirit, it's your moment. You want to have that power to be able to navigate the waters? Maybe you've drifted for a long time. I mean, Haggai was all about, man, you guys are doing your thing. Why aren't you taking care of my thing? Like the house of God. Why aren't you getting off the bench? Why aren't you joining in and being a participant? God will honor that. So if you want more, as Lewis just plays over us and we just go to that moment, I'd like you to come forward. This would be a great moment for you to get filled again with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thank you, God. I'm no longer...